Bibles to Luke chapter 9 today, the ninth chapter of the gospel according to Luke. In my opinion, some of the neatest events and experiences in the Bible are the times when God would very clearly and evidently make his presence known. You go all the way back to the beginning. Think of what we learn in Genesis chapters 2 and 3 after God completed creation. We learn that he would come to the garden in the cool of the day, daily, to walk and talk with Adam and Eve. What an experience that must have been for Adam and Eve for however long it lasted to have God so clearly and evidently show up to walk with and talk with them. You jump to Exodus chapters 3 and 4. And we learn there of God showing up in a flame of fire in a bush. The bush isn't consumed, but Moses sees it from a distance. He climbs the mountain to the place where that flaming bush is. And it becomes very clear that God is there. And has a conversation with Moses. In Exodus, as you continue reading, the Hebrews have been delivered from Egypt. They are camped against the Red Sea when Pharaoh and his army shows up. And the Hebrews aren't soldiers. They're not trained. They're not equipped. Pharaoh and his army are trained and equipped. They have chariots against these people walking on foot on the Sinai Peninsula. And as they're there, they're afraid and they're wondering what's going to happen. And God clearly and evidently shows up. The Red Sea parts in front of them. And as they are crossing on dry ground, God, as a pillar of fire, sets himself between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. As you, if you were there, are walking through the Red Sea... How neat would it have been to turn and look over your shoulder and see just this massive pillar of fire dividing you from the Egyptian army. What a neat experience that would have been. A little further in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, they are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. They are there to receive God's law. They're waiting. They've followed God's instructions to sanctify themselves. They've prepared for God to show up. And then when God does, he descends on the mount. And what a scene it was. There's fire. There's a, a cloud. There is the sound of thunder. There is a voice like a trumpet. You imagine. Maybe some of you have been near the mountains when some lower 
level clouds come and encompass the mountaintop. Maybe you've been in that place where you've been up on the mountain and you're up in and even above the clouds. Have any of you had experience? What a neat experience that is to be able to be up on the mountaintop and looking down at the clouds. Well, here are the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. And they're looking up and God as this cloud and this flame and this lightning comes down on the mountain. What a neat experience. And we could go on because the Old Testament is filled with these clear revelations of God. How awesome would it be to be an eyewitness of something like that? But often, this is awesome wasn't the response of the people who were involved in those experiences. In fact, that changed right after Adam and Eve sinned. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, God came as he did every day to walk with them, talk with them, and they're not there excited to meet God. They're hiding. They're ashamed to be in his presence. When God showed up on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 that I just described, the people were there at the base of the mount to meet with God the way that he said they should be. And when God came down on the mount like that, they the Bible speaks of how they turn and they flee. Every man like goes back to his tent and finds a place to hide. And then... They come to Moses and they say, hey, Moses, you need to go have a conversation with God because we don't want to experience that again. They, this. they say, if God shows up like that again, we're going to die. So, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to experience that again. That was often the, the way that people responded when, when God showed up. You get to the New Testament, we do not find revelations of God like that. However, the New Testament reveals something better. John recorded it this way in chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he continues in verse number 14, and he says, And the Word was made flesh dwelt among us and we beheld his what his glory we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth we know that john is speaking of jesus jesus is the word and it was his glory they beheld. John reveals in John chapter 1 that others saw glimpses of his glory. Those who lived with and walked with Jesus. Even those who were part of the crowds who would show up at times. They saw glimpses of his glory. But John had a special experience of Jesus's glory. John, along with Peter and James, had the privilege 
of the special revelation of Jesus' glory as recorded in Luke chapter 9. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse number 28. Let's see what the Bible has to tell us here. And it came to pass about in eight days after these sayings, he, Jesus, took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. And his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Have you ever been there? Moses, not uh, Peter, didn't even realize what he was saying. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close. And told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Here is something even better than those experiences we read about in the Old Testament. Jesus just takes the veil back some and reveals his glory. I want us, as we look at this message, the glory revealed, to see this revelation in four stages. And we'll begin with, number one, the demonstration the demonstration. Matthew and Mark, in telling this account, write that it transpired after six days from the previous events. What were the previous events? We saw these last week. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they give some response. And then who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks for the group and says, you're the Christ of God. And then Jesus goes on to speak, to preach if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Matthew and Mark say it's about six days after those events that this takes place. Luke, interestingly, says it's about an eight days after. So the question has to be asked, what is correct? And I'll ask you to notice that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are not concerned about time stamping the event. It's not a specific day, specific hour, specific minute, specific second. In fact, each of them very much generalizes it. After six days, Luke, about in eight days after, it is specifically general. There was no intention to give a very specific time for the event, but just a general time frame. So there's no contradiction. As was true before Jesus spoke about discipleship, we find him here going up into a mountain to pray. Isn't it interesting to see how 
two accounts of Jesus' life back to back show us Jesus going and making time to be alone to get with God. From one event to the next, the writer shows us that Jesus prayed, and it reveals that Jesus frequently did this. It was something he regularly did. On this occasion, he took Peter, James, and John with him. The various gospel accounts tell us that the three fell asleep. Again, something we see happening with them regularly. Jesus is on the mountain praying. They're feigning prayer. They're sleeping. And while they slept, something happened. Jesus changed. Matthew chapter 17 verse 2 reveals that his face shone with the brightness of the sun. S-U-N, sun. Luke tells us that his raiment was white and glistering. Words, white of course we use, glistering, we don't really use this word but if you go back and you study in the language the verb form of these words is the word that's used to describe a flash of lightning. In other words, if, if you were to see lightning flash, you would use the verb form of the word Luke uses here. So think about this. As, they, as this happens, Jesus' face is shining with the brightness of the sun. His raiment is like a lightning flash. Lightning is some pretty amazing stuff. Did you know? I did a little bit of studying up on lightning. Did you know that a lightning bolt burns at about 54,000 degrees? To put it in perspective, that is about five times hotter than the surface of the sun. I don't, I don't want to be very close to lightning when it flashes that's some that's some hot stuff lightning is powerful if we could if, if humanity could learn to harness the power of lightning we'd be in good shape isn't it amazing that in 2023 we still struggle to catch up to god lightning you've seen a lightning flash it's there and gone pretty quick right one lightning bolt contains the power of approximately 80 million car batteries. That's powerful stuff. One lightning bolt could power a 100-watt bulb for about three months continuously. Powerful stuff. The production of lightning. How it works is, is pretty incredible. Lightning is produced when a negative charge in the cloud above produces a positive charge on the earth below. And these come together in an impulse called a stepped leader. The, the stepped leader that is descending from the clouds above toward earth comes down toward the earth at about 136,000 miles per hour. As it gets close to the ground, 
that then return charge comes back up. You think 136,000 miles per hour is fast? That return charge is traveling at about 62 million miles per hour. And when they meet, that completes the circuit and you have a bolt of electricity called lightning. All of that heat, all of that power, that production of speed, all takes place in a lightning bolt. Do you know how, how big a lightning bolt is, how wide it is? It's about the width of a human thumb. I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff. You see it from a distance. I mean, you, you've seen those flashes that you're not even looking. You know there's a storm nearby, but you, you see that flash out of the corner of your eye, and the brightness of it tells you there is a big, a big crack of thunder coming here real quick. If you've ever seen lightning straight on, especially close lightning, you know even that flash that's there and gone. It affects your vision. Can you imagine Jesus? As amazing as lightning is, Jesus lets the veil back a little bit. His face is shining as the brightness of the sun. His raiment is white and glistering like a lightning flash. Even more amazing than that lightning is Jesus revealing his glory to the disciples on the mountainside. What a spectacle this would have been. He's so glorious that his countenance, the radiance of his glory shines as the sun and as a lightning flash. And as amazing as that is, do you understand today that there is something that they should have grasped onto that is even more amazing than the revelation of his glory on the mountainside? Do you know what that is? More amazing than Jesus unveiling and showing his glory is the miracle of Jesus veiling that glory. To become a man. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, to take upon him the form of a servant and to come in the likeness of men. I'm not taking anything away from his glory, but his glory goes up a little bit when you realize that as amazing as that was, it's even more miraculous that he could veil all of that. That Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is equal with God. He is God. Could veil that glory to take on human flesh to be among us. That is glorious. Number two this morning, I want you to see the conversation. Moses and Elijah show up too. Why Moses and Elijah? I don't know. You can try to guess at it like anybody else does. Some have proposed that, also guessing that these are the two witnesses that show up during the tribulation period according to the book of Revelation. 
that's even a guess. Some have said it's because Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. When you think of the Old Testament, often it's encapsulated in a statement like the law and the prophets. But again, these are just conjecture. I don't know why Moses and Elijah. But notice they showed up, and the Bible tells us in the second part of verse number 31 that um, they appear glory, right? Here's Moses and Elijah. They show up and they appear in glory. But then they begin having a conversation with Jesus. Now, pause for a moment. If you don't know this story, if Jesus unveils his glory, lets it shine through, and, and Moses and Elijah show up and they're in glory too, what might you think the topic of conversation would be? I mean, I don't know about you, but there could, there, there's a whole host of things that they could spend time talking about. They could talk about how amazing it is that Jesus is there shining as the sun and, and his, his raiment like lightning. They could talk about how it, it is to be back on earth for a short time. They could talk about how amazing... It is to be in glory themselves. They could talk about how, how awesome it is to be able to be in a place uh, like paradise. They, they, there were so many things that they could talk about, but they showed up and they conversed about one thing. What was it? His decease. What are we talking about? The word means an exit. It means an exodus. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, it is the word used, translated in the New Testament, to describe the Hebrews departing from Egypt. We also read it in the scripture we read earlier in the service in 2 Peter chapter 1, when Peter spoke of his decease that Jesus showed him he would experience. Well, it's very obvious in Peter's account there in 2 Peter chapter 1, what's he talking about when he talks about his decease? His death, his impending death. And that's exactly what is going on here. So Jesus is revealing his glory. Moses and Elijah show up in glory, and what is the conversation about? His death, his dying. Interestingly, when Peter speaks of his decease there in 2 Peter chapter 1, his own, he right after that speaks about something he was an eyewitness of what was it this event right here the transfiguration is that interesting to you it is to me of all the things they could talk about including that event taking place right then right there jesus unveiling his glory they chose to talk about the work he was sent to do because it goes on to say his decease which he would go to Jerusalem to accomplish. That is, he would satisfy the Father. He would fulfill his office. He would finish the work. And by the way, friends, that's why the most amazing reality of this event isn't the glory he revealed. The most amazing reality of this event is that this glory 
was veiled so he could work among us, he could walk among us, he could live among us, and he could die as one of us for us. Moses and Elijah didn't show up and say, wow, Jesus, your glory is amazing. They showed up and they said, hey, Jesus, we want to talk with you about what you're going to Jerusalem to do. And don't miss, don't miss this. You go back to that about eight days earlier, and what had Jesus talked about with his disciples? Who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus, you're the Christ of God. That's right, disciples, but let me be very clear what being the Christ of God is all about. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be slain. But then I'm going to rise. He had told them, that's why I'm going. And now, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he reveals his glory. Moses and Elijah show up in glory. But what are they going to talk about? They're not going to talk about that going on right then and there. They're going to talk about, hey, Jesus, let's talk about what you're going to Jerusalem to do. You're going to die. More amazing, as amazing as it was. More amazing than that glory Jesus revealed on the mountain is the glory that God could come from heaven above, walk among us, work among us, love among us, and die as one of us for us. Friends, that is truly miraculous. The glorious God of the universe became a man like you and me. If that doesn't if that doesn't just shake your spirit, something is wrong. That God would become a man like you and me except for the fact that he was sinless. Where we failed, he prevailed. We face temptation. Adam is the representative for all humanity, and he failed. You and I, born with a sin nature, conceived with a sin nature, are born into this world sinners, and it doesn't take very long before we choose it for ourselves, too. Jesus faced temptation, and he prevailed. He lived a perfect life going about doing good, serving others, and loving everyone. Then, through the jealousy and hatred of some who opposed him, he was arrested, he was tried, sentenced to death by crucifixion. And he suffered that excruciating death to pay sin's penalty for every person. But then... Three days later, he rose from the grave, and now he offers you and me everything. Forgiveness of our sins, salvation, deliverance from eternal death in hell, and a future in his glorious heaven. So let me ask you today, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you trusted him for salvation, for forgiveness of all your sins? Do you know that he is yours. What a glorious event this was. The conversation wasn't about the glory he revealed. It was about the purpose for why he came. 
Notice, if you would, thirdly, the inspiration. This produced something in the disciples. I mean, it, it was an inspiring event to be a part of. Peter, James, and John were there, and yet they weren't at the same time. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? What were they doing? Sleeping. They were there, and yet they weren't. If you follow the, the account, when, when Jesus unveils his glory, and when Moses and Elijah first show up, the disciples are asleep. Now, now think about this, and, and put it in a spiritual application context. They were sleeping, and then suddenly they were awakened out of it, and there they were. The glory was there. Yesterday, uh, we had the privilege of being a part of Your Choice Resource Center, our local pregnancy centers, run and walk for life. It was a great event. Glad to be a part of it. Afterward, we climbed in the van and we prepared to leave. And let me set up this story a little bit by telling you that Michael, my five-year-old son, he, he enjoys coming to church. He enjoys at times playing church at home. And any time we put him in a button-up shirt, he talks about how now he's a pastor like daddy. Button-up shirt, that's all it takes. And he'll talk about how much he loves the idea of being a pastor daddy. That's what he calls it. I'm going to be a pastor daddy. He says it all the time. This morning I walked into his room and he had already gotten up and gotten dressed for the day and put on shorts and a t-shirt. And I said, all right, well, we're going to do something a little different for church. So I got out a pair of pants. I said, you can pick your shirt. So he came to, the, he came to his closet where some of his button-up shirts are and he said, I want a shirt like a pastor daddy happened this morning but when we got in the car and we were just leaving the run and walk for life he 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 spoke up from the back and he said daddy mommy i'm scared about something and i said really michael what are you scared about and here's my five-year-old son he says i'm scared that when i'm a pastor daddy i won't be a good preacher and i thought oh that's that's so precious I have no idea why my five-year-old is thinking about that, but he was. I'm scared that I won't be a good preacher. And I, I guess maybe he's afraid of putting people to sleep. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But here's Jesus, and he unveils his glory. And Peter, James, and John are asleep. Now don't miss this little spiritual connection. It's very possible that God's glory shows up. That God's glory could be revealed in a very evident and clear way. That God could show up. That others around you could be having a, I'm not talking about emotionalism, I'm not talking about just feelings, but others around you could be having a very real, very vibrant spiritual experience 
and you completely miss it because you're sleeping. Pastor, we all have to sleep. That's not the kind of sleep I'm talking about. I think you all understand what it is to be spiritually asleep. Do you remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, number 11? He says, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is your salvation nearer than when you believed. And he talks to us about what that looks like, what waking up out of sleep looks like. Hey, let's be careful that we're not asleep when God shows up. God could be working in a place. God could be working in a community. God could be working in a church. God could be working on one person in the church. God could be working in the believer right around you. God could be working in your spouse or in your child or in your parent. And you completely miss it and you think, wow, they're messed up. Wow, they're wacko. Wow, they're on meds or whatever it is you may think. And, and you just shrug it off. And the reality is, no, God has clearly showed up. And you're missing it because you're asleep. Be careful. I wonder how many times we've missed or even now missed revelations of God's glory because we're sleeping. Thankfully, the disciples didn't sleep through the whole thing. They finally woke up. And when they did, they saw this scene. And I, I do want you to see this. I think it's, it's poignant. Their attention first went to Jesus. Do you see that in the text? Verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw what? His glory and the two men that stood with him. Jesus unveiled his glory. Moses and Elijah showed up in glory, but when they first woke up, their attention didn't go to Moses and Elijah. Their attention went to Jesus. And so it should be with us. Let's make sure that Jesus always has our attention first, above everything and everyone else. And the scene inspired Peter. What did Peter want to do? I wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Does that sound a little odd to you? What was the tabernacle all about? The tabernacle of the Old Testament was the place where the people went to meet with God. When they built the tabernacle in the book of Exodus and finally completed it, Exodus chapter 40 reveals that God's presence like a cloud, like a flame, descended on the tabernacle and settled there above the mercy seat in the holy of holies in the tabernacle it was again this amazing clear evident revelation of god's glory among people but once again it brought fear it, it caused fear in them and and here they were it was the place they went to worship god and peter says hey let's build one for jesus hey that's fine in a sense but let's build one for moses and elijah not a good idea don't worship man we worship god but i also wonder about this peter says let's build these three tabernacles it's good for us to be here we want to stay right here peter was ready to stay on the mountain and experience that glory all of the time 
there's a problem with that. Wouldn't we all like to have a mountaintop experience all the time? How many of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a mountaintop experience? You have them in life. It's those really good experiences, those really wonderful events. It, you know, for you, just a life mountaintop experience might be some really memorable vacation or just something like that. Then we talk about spiritual mountaintop experiences. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Those times when you are awake and God evidently and clearly shows up. It might be in a church service. It might be in a personal time of devotions. It might be while you're in your car listening to some good worship music that God just speaks to your heart and, and you just sense the clear, evident presence of God it might be in a revival service. It might be in a, a spiritual experience where God uses you in some wonderful way to lead another person to Jesus Christ, to be a blessing to someone else, and you just sense God warming your heart so evidently that it moves you. And how we long for those type of experiences all the time. Peter wanted to stay there. He wanted to experience that glory full time. But the problem with that is that just before this, Jesus had told them something was coming. He, he was going to have another mountaintop experience, but very different from this. You remember what it was? He was going to go to Jerusalem to suffer to be rejected to die to be hanged on a cross on a mountain Golgotha Mount Calvary we call it the Bible reveals to us this reality that glory follows the cross glory comes after the cross and I have to wonder had Peter forgotten what Jesus had already taught them or was he interested in bypassing all of that hey, Jesus look at you and your glory let's build a tabernacle let's just stay right here let's not worry about Jerusalem like you talked about and being rejected and dying. Let's just stay right here all the time. Hey, by the way, do you remember when Satan tempted Jesus, one of the temptations was about bypassing all of this. Hey, Jesus, if you will kneel to me and worship me, here's all the kingdoms of the world. I will give them to you to rule over. What was that temptation about? It was about having the crown without facing the cross you can be king without going to the cross and ultimately it is satan's deception that we all experience glory without the cross 
But there's a problem with that. Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his... Yeah, he didn't say crown, did he? Take up his cross and follow me. You do remember, don't you, that in Philippians chapter 2, again, where Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of this, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Glory after the cross. Jesus told his disciples of his coming death. And right after that, he told them about discipleship. Then he revealed his glory. I don't think this is by accident. The order of these events is not coincidence. It's not irony. It's not, it's not just by happenstance. The order of the events is purposeful in the plan of God. Jesus taught them, I'm going to die. Jesus taught them, if you will be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and take up his, your cross and follow me. And then... Jesus revealed his glory. Friends, for us today, remember that we cannot experience glory without the cross. We can't experience the glory and joy of heaven without the cross of Jesus. And we can't experience the glory of the reward of heaven without carrying our own cross and following Jesus. And then I'll ask you to see fourthly, the declaration we've seen the demonstration the conversation the inspiration now let's see the declaration the bible reveals in verse 34 that peter was still talking when this cloud showed up and started to overshadow them the word used here speaks of the idea of enveloping in a haze of brilliancy so go back again if you've ever had that experience where you're on a mountaintop and you're in the clouds maybe below the cloud line it's dark it's gloomy you get a, above the clouds and, and what happens the sun's shining bright up there isn't it it's an amazing thing it's a really neat experience here the bible tells us this cloud overshadows it envelops them they are in this cloud and it's not a dark gloomy cloud there's this this haze this kind of this kind of blur to the vision but it's it's brilliant it's bright it's shining i can imagine to the point where it's almost blinding jesus glory would have been like that almost blinding and how did peter james and john respond did you catch it verse number 34 and they what feared interesting just just like those old testament experiences when god showed up after adam and eve sinned there was always this fear there was always this terror in a sense 
And that's how Peter, James, and John responded here. Why? Don't miss this. God's glorious presence always confronts man's fallenness. In Exodus 19, when he came down on Mount Sinai and the people fled and said, we don't want to experience that again, we're going to die. They were afraid because God's glorious presence confronted their fallenness. In Exodus 40, when God descended on the tabernacle and they were afraid to get close to the tabernacle, God's glorious presence confronted their fallenness. When Isaiah the prophet, who was a follower of God, he was a spokesman for God, saw God high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the seraphim cried one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah saw the glory of God and what did he say? Woe is me, God's glorious presence confronted his fallenness. Peter, James, and John are confronted, I believe, with their fallenness. But even as they were afraid, a voice spoke. I guarantee it wasn't the devil. I guarantee it they weren't just hearing things. A voice, the voice of God, clearly spoke and gave a simple but important message. He revealed who Jesus was, and he identified how we should respond. Notice he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is my beloved son, hear him. And friends, listen, don't miss this. This is the important conclusion to this entire event. Jesus revealed his glory. And the timing wasn't by accident. It was after he told them about his cross. He told them about their cross. And then his glory is revealed. That order is not by accident. Moses and Elijah showed up. And of all the things they could talk to Jesus about, they wanted to talk about his coming death. That was not by accident. God had a very specific purpose for this event and it wasn't listen carefully please and don't miss this it wasn't so that the disciples would get wrapped up in Jesus's glory and stay there and worship should we worship God yes should we show up with the body of, of brothers and sisters and worship God yes should we worship the glory of God Yes, should we worship Jesus? Yes. But our worship, that adoration we give to God, should also lead to something. What is it? Obedience. When you know who Jesus is, it should inspire your worship of him. Think about this event. This event gives us a glimpse of what heaven will be. Right? There's no need for the sun there because the glory of the Lamb is the light of that place. It gives us a glimpse of what heaven will be. It gives us a glimpse of what Jesus will be. By the way, I believe it gives us a glimpse of what we will be. Moses and Elijah showed up in glory. We talk about that eternal state of the believer is a what? 
glorified state. We have a glorified body. It gives us a glimpse of what the believer will be in eternity. But this event is not here to just cause awe and worship of Jesus, though we should do that. This is not just here to give us a glimpse of what Jesus is in glory. This event's not just here to tell us a little bit about what heaven will be. It's not here to give us a glimpse of what we will be in glory. This event is here to remind us, to show us who Jesus is. He's the beloved Son of God and how we should respond here. Obey him, follow him. But, but Jesus just said, to be his disciple means deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. That's okay. He's the son of God. After the cross is glory. Hear him. And listen. Listen get what he says take it in meditate upon it chew on it apply it live it obey it i've got to tell you it would be neat to be a part of this event it would be hard wouldn't it not to get caught up in the moment like peter did let's just build a tabernacle and stay here and worship but that wasn't god's plan It'd be neat to get caught up in, wow, it would be great to experience this all the time and not have to worry about the cross. But friend, life is not one continuous mountaintop experience. There are valleys. There are rocks that are steep and, and sharp, and it can be tough and difficult at times. Discipleship is very much carrying a cross. glories ahead we're following the one who is the son of god hear him if you're a believer in jesus christ understand that we should be in awe and reverence of him we should worship him but true worship leads to obedience when jesus glory is revealed hearing him and doing what he says naturally follows when you are truly experiencing the glory of god in that way when it happens give him worship but then go and do what he says do that's what it's about and then i wonder who here in this place or who watching or listening by way of the internet you've missed the greater miracle that God could wrap all that glory up in a human tabernacle, a human body. Walk among us, work among us, live among us, and die as one of us for us. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Right now, wherever you are, whether here or there, would you trust Jesus for forgiveness of sin?